look at chintz the picture of focus what Focus. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking what about. What was then. your drink? It was an iced cappuccino. Oh, chinch. What? You sexy beast. <laughs> is that good? Yeah. I don't know. I don't like iced coffee. What is, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's pointless. <laughs> flipped on a dime there. Actually, I, was, I just realised I was talking complete nonsense. What is the sexiest coffee? Because I'm not a coffee drinker, so I cannot uh, contribute to this conversation. Oh, chinch. No, that's chinch, that's disgusting. And espresso uh, is the sexiest coffee. Yeah, right? I would, I'm probably saying espresso. That's not real coffee, though, is it? Yes, yeah, so it's the most suave Italian yeah. way of having a hot beverage. You've ruined my table. It's quite a lot. I've given it character. A seven-cap international has dribbled on your table. <laughs> Kate is going to be... Don't let Kate see that. She'll kill you. Would you like she to sees it? and says, oh, my God, who's saying that? And you say, I have. She'll say... Well, oh, in that right case, then. that's fine. She'll assume it was me. Would you would you be able to move your microphone so that we can actually hear properly? What? Hello, there you go. Yeah, you're not the only person to stay in the table, Chinch, don't worry. Oh, really? Oh. Postman always brings what? Oh, disgusting. Don't make this blue. <laughs> what stains? Does your table oh! have character because of the stains? Yeah, the, the table needs varnishing, and we haven't got around to it yet. I thought you actually buy tables that look a mess. Isn't that, isn't that a style yes, thing? Yes, distressed. Distressed, Sorry? Yeah. Yes, yes, ours is distressed. Yeah, you could describe the podcast like that, couldn't you? Carry on. <laughs> yeah, distressed. Distressed. What's all that about? Yeah. Distressed. Distressed. Chinch, I'd, I'd quite like to launch. Should we do a, an interior design podcast with Chinch? That'd be quite good. Well, I've, I've, I've oh, with Mrs. Chinch, we could. Yes. I'm a big fan of clean lines, to be fair. I've looked forward yeah. to the decking mm, podcast mm, with Chinch. You could decking. give us all sorts of interesting... Oh, it's all about the support. Ant really and Decking. Is. The Andy Hinsliff mm. Decking podcast. Mm. <laughs> the Ant and Decking. You could be Ant. Just looking at the size of your forehead. <laughs> I haven't got a big forehead. <laughs> what the... Hang on a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Couldn't, couldn't stifle the laugh there, could he? <laughs> no, that, was, thinking no, that, was not, that was not a laugh at your expense. That Finally. Was a, that was an awkward... Oh, this could get a bit tasty laugh. <laughs> you, don't, you, you don't have a big forehead. I don't do it. I have no. big other things. Well, the suggestion... Facial features. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the suggestion of it is... is Humour enough. It yeah. doesn't have to be true. It just has to be insulting. That's the ma- that's mainly how you speak to me is make it insulting. But it's because but I, I like it. But if if <laughs> if I revere you in in the <laughs> the way that I do, the way the yes. way he deserves, the way yeah. I should do, it's really important that you don't feel like there's any sort of a deferential relationship. That's ah. You need to feel like one of us, and to feel like one of us, we have to drag you down yeah, massively you don't, from you don't your speak high to, perch as you don't a former international Steve or Rory. That's in none, neither of them played for England. Oh yeah, I did, didn't I? Yeah, carry on. Do you need reminding? Yes. Some of that experience of international football is going mm. to be brought to bear is on this it? episode of Set Piece Many. Really? Uh, yes. And I haven't got the script ready. <laughs> really. This is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Um, we are still at Rory's for part two of our World Cup related but not World Cup dependent conversation. Uh, you can go ahead and listen to this in the first week of July and uh, see how prescient we all were about nothing specifically occurring in Russia. But just, you know, the whole feel of the thing. Rory, uh, what what food? Uh, it was a peppers and onions in episode one of our little two-part World Cup. Has it taken any more form? As if by magic, the peppers and onions will transform into huevos rancheros, my, my go-to dish when I have most of the ingredients but not peppers. It's taken us 80 episodes, but we have repeated a no, dish for the first time. I've done huevos rancheros for you. What, at least twice before. No, yeah. I, th- I think you've only done it once. Once. It was only once? Yeah. Yeah. Once. But I think it was Very in early, the first six or seven. Yeah. Uh, so I think after 80, we're allowed to repeat. And also because uh, Mexico are in the World Cup. But also so it's difficult because we, we, we often record in the morning. Mm. 
between breakfast and lunch, or brunch as I call it. I don't know if you've ever heard that portmanteau. Brunch? Brunch, yeah. It's this I idea that, that I've catching had. On. I've had this idea for a meal between breakfast and lunch. Yeah, but if you have breakfast and then lunch, why would you need to eat in between? Greed, cheese. A lot of people ah, are fat. Okay. Could it potentially be a meal for if you've woken up a little bit late for breakfast, you're hungry, but it's too early for lunch? That would certainly be one of its uses, Steve. I don't know if it'll catch on, but that, that is maybe part of the marketing. But it's um, I only have a certain number of things that I can cook at this time of day. I couldn't do you a curry. That would be inappropriate. It would be a bit strange. It's 11am, let's have a curry. With me, Hugh Ferris, are three people who have all had songs named after them. Literally, after them. It's not a coincidence at all. Rory Smith from the New York Times, whose regular appearances on BBC Five Live prompted Ashton Shepard's 2011 country hit, Rory's Radio. Some lyrics for you. I was dreaming so many dreams, having the time of my life. I could go anywhere I wanted to go. I was listening to Rory's Radio. Former England international (laughs) and Sky Sports pundit Andy Hinchcliffe, who asked the killers, who actually asked the killers to write, Andy, you're a star, in 2004. Mm. Not that long after retirement for Andy, not the killers, uh, of course. (laughs) Some lyrics for you. On the field, I remember you were incredible. Hey, shut up. Hey, shut up, yeah. On the match with the boys, you think you're all alone with the pain that you drain from love. In a car with a girl, promise me she's not your world, because Andy, you're a star. (sighs) Never a truer word. Actual lyrics. Brandon Flowers, a little jealous of Andy's first wife, by the sounds of it. And Stephen Wyeth from BT Sports, subject of the 2002 song by post-hardcore rock outfit Senses Fail. Goodbye, Stephen. Goodbye, you friend. You are so young. You are so young. This is a bit awkward. <laughs> this is a bit depressing. <laughs> Get in touch with the podcast at Setpiece Menu on Twitter or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Now I know how Chinch feels when yes. he's damned right yes. at the very start of the podcast. Uh, we had an email from Jim Thrower, who sounds like he's from Yorkshire, to ask Andy how many goals. Why does he sound like he's from Yorkshire? <laughs> Jim Thrower? Wasn't Percy Thrower the uh, former. Gardener. Uh, Gardener for Blue Peter. Wasn't he from Yorkshire? You think he's part of the gardening throwers? <laughs> he might be part he's of the gardening Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's emailed to ask Andy this question. Oh, okay. How many goals will be scored from in-swinging corners at the World Cup? And if it's outnumbered by goals from out-swinging corners, will he be prepared to commit to some sort of forfeit? I'm not sure there'll be a lot of goals across the board from corners, but yes, I will. If, if any nation, if they listen to what I say... <laughs> What are you, what are Which you universally about? they should be expected bid in, to. He's been in Peru. Well, a lot of these really good teams, they're you know, going to knock a corner and we'll play it short and score from there. Fair enough. But a lot of the teams are pretty rubbish. So in-swinging corners could be the way to World Cup glory and I could send them on the way. But yet forfeit, would have to be a bit careful about what the forfeit would be. Okay, well, it can, it can yeah. be suggested... Um, by I any of the gardening, suggestive. That's <laughs> not happening. Suggestive. Any of the gardening throwers can get involved, yeah. or any of the listeners to Seppi's Medi can get involved, uh, and then at some point, I imagine Michael Cox or somebody who has uh, a keen eye for these things will tell us how many goals have been the scored World Cup as a result on, of in uh, swinging around. It's taken on a whole new meaning for me. I'm going to watch the World Cup, watch every game because of this now. You won't have seen this, Chinch, but after the uh, Champions League final, yes. uh, a listener, Mikey Hollingsworth, tweeted us asking about the fact that after every Liverpool in-swinging corner resulted in a foul against Real keeper Cale Navas, mm-hmm. even when there was no contact and Liverpool scored from an out-swinging corner, does Chinch uh, think that he needs to change his his corner theory for referees of a European persuasion. Um, no, I fear change. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Andy Brown also tweeted... I replied tweeted, to say Chinch was stubborn and would never change. <laughs> yes, that's true. So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Those things can be uh, true at the same time. Andy Brown also tweeted to ask, are you guys doing a pod over the summer or is it a well-deserved break to Magaluf slash Russia slash delete as appropriate? Well, we deleted Magaluf, replaced it with Portugal and kept Russia. But yes, we are podding over the summer. We have a special series starting next week on the people who helped to shape modern football. Each of us will nominate a person or persons and then we'll chat about it, most likely nodding a lot and making sounds like... Mm. But it's worth listening to because of Andy nominating himself. <laughs> That's true. He had pivotal. Pivotal. Mm -hmm. um, it's a four-part series. Uh, it starts next week when Rory leaves for the World Cup. So you'd be amazed at how clear and present he sounds, despite being a number of thousand miles away. Uh, so then, without further ado, let's continue our conversation about said jamboree of global soccer. Last week, we wondered if the World Cup was a blessed relief from all the tribalism and trolling of club football that ended up uh, surmising that it's a blessed relief for FIFA from all the attention they get uh, every other time of a four-year cycle, apart from the month when the World Cup is on. Well, today, we'll ask if those looking forward to that blessed relief every four years are actually rewarded. Sir Alex Ferguson used to say in his last decade as Manchester United manager that the Champions League provided not only the best football, but also a representation of the game's biggest prize. Easy to say, I guess, when you're a club manager who can only win one of the two. But still, did he have a point? Clubs can choose players from anywhere. Countries are limited. But in those limitations, do we find greater achievement? Successfully forging together the tangible of organisation and tactics with the intangible of national pride and identity. Is that the pinnacle of the game? Or is the fear of failure or the fear of a vitriolic response to underachievement producing dull win-at-any-cost football that makes the World Cup a turgid affair with so many countries limited by their lack of talent, unable to compete with those teams perennially blessed with better players? And... Prikparkovat Avtobus, as they might be saying in Russia. So Any, in, anybody? I'm not that impressed. or Avtobus, which means parking the bus. So has club I'm football ruined <laughs> the World Cup, and will anybody actually enjoy the tournament? So this 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 subject is the genesis of the subject. I think you will find fascinating, uh, both for me and my alter ego slash. Dark soul companion Alan Shepard. Who prompted this whole conversation via an email to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. It came to me and Alan, uh, who are obviously one and the same, uh, when I was listening to another podcast, uh, The Totally Football Show. I don't know if, you've, if you're aware of it. Which you, is you totally football. Certainly not. No, no. But Michael Cox, the aforementioned Michael Cox, made the point after the FA Cup final. He sort of said that he thought the FA Cup final, which you may have forgotten, was between Manchester United and Chelsea, finished 1-0 to Chelsea, and was entirely unmemorable. Coxie said that he he found the game more interesting than it had kind of been presented as. It didn't think it was quite as bad as everyone was saying. Uh, that obviously the, the early goal for Chelsea kind of changed things a little bit. But the um, but he, he ended by saying, look, if you if you did genuinely not enjoy that game, then maybe avoid the World Cup group stages because that is what international football looks like. It's cautious. Mm -hmm. Defeat means a lot more than victory. So draws take on a kind of uh, an, an outweighted significance. But teams trying to avoid losing rather than actively seeking a win um, it's cagey it's tactically very kind of uh, conservative the pace tends to be quite slow and his point was that if you if you watch the the 10 best teams in Europe the, the final stages of the Champions League PSG Juventus Bayern Munich Dortmund the, the two Madrids and Barcelona the top six in the Premier League apart from maybe one or two uh, you you get this impression that the elite football, the very best level of football, is intense, it's high-pressing, it's quick, it's, it's constant changing of positions, it's fluid, it's dynamic, and that's what we're kind of conditioned to like now. And the World Cup is not that. It's certainly in the group stages, and I would say that 
to be honest, once the once the pressure really gets on in the knockouts, it can get even worse. I remember in twenty fourteen being at Holland, Costa Rica, in Salvador, I think, and I'd thought that um, Costa Rica was a really romantic story, but it turns out they were dour. <laughs> and this, I think, was, this was after Van Gaal had been confirmed as the new United manager, and I was near Mark Ogden, who uh, is a covered Manchester United for a long time and. Uh, watched them for an even longer time in a different capacity, and he was busy saying, "Oh, you know, Van Hal's going to, you know, transform the." That's not that's not a man character. Well, well, that was it's, like it's that was like that was like Oggy was in the room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so kept saying in his. In o- Oggy, his by the way, is a, a deep-rooted Mancunian. Yes, uh, hence the excellent accent from. Rob. But also a good friend, so I'm allowed to. Yes, to, that's to, fine. To it's mock him, greatly respected and loved in this room. The but anyway, Oggy was busy telling me what a genius Van Gaal was, and I remember watching Holland and thinking, really, this is incredibly boring. Just two incredibly dull teams in a World Cup quarter-final. It went to penalties. It was awful. It finished late. Oh, I was hungry. It was too hot. Was that oh, when Van Gaal made the goalkeeper? When Tim Krul? Was that when he made the keeper? Yes, yes. yes. Made the keeper and it switch, worked. Yeah. 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 Which, of course, was a genius move that, that everybody will be benefiting from it in the Premier League. That was a genius move, but but not that useful in lead football, I would say. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> as it turned out. But anyway, so it, the World Cup is not entertaining in the sense that we've come to think of Barcelona as entertaining or Bayern Munich as entertaining or, or Liverpool or Tottenham or Man City as entertaining. It's, its entertainment is in the tension and the way that it ratchets up the tension over the course of six weeks to the ultimate prize. But I do think that Coxie has a point that people, there will be times in the next month when people say, this is terrible football. And Steve alluded to it last week when he mentioned Euro 2016, which I've got to admit, I quite enjoyed. <laughs> oh, you didn't. I Surely did. Is that not. because it wasn't quite as hot, it wasn't quite as late, and you got food a little bit yeah, more? You weren't as <laughs> no, my experience of Euro 2016, and I, and I will hope that the person who, who was responsible for this was not listening, was awful. I spent all of it on bloody trains. They did, I, did, I did games. I thought you had a, uh, you had a Parisian uh, no, apartment we did, to keep returning we, to. We, we, we never ne- saw it. We, I stayed, stayed there for about three nights. Because my schedule was like Marseille, Paris, Nice, Paris, Lille, Marseille. Sounds awful. Game a day. Sounds well, it's terrible. There's worse jobs, Chinch. Don't get me wrong. There but it is. Was a, a You're long, right there. A long time on trains. <laughs> yeah, the train but anyway, the games. The test, did though. you enjoy the, take the travel out of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was awful. Absolutely games terrible. Games or got. trains. What yeah, was better? Games or trains. High strength trains. Terrible, terrible thing. But the games. Steve is right that the quality of the football is lower than elite football but the tension is what makes a tournament that's what you want is you want high stakes football but and I think does it forgive it though yeah because it, if, if everyone's dead nervous and you know that any mistake or, or any goal will make a huge difference I think that is there is, an, there is entertainment there and that's what the World Cup does well but it's not what we're used to and I'm worried that, that will influence people's opinions of the World Cup I mean the, prob- the problem with Euro 2016 was because the the way that the added yeah, teams yeah, and yeah. the fact that you could finish third in your group and, and progress meant that effectively three draws saw you through the group stages. So that's how a lot of teams were, were approaching it. Whereas Euro 2012 had been absolutely phenomenal in terms, by comparison, mm. in terms of the, the football that played. So that's, we need the World Cup bigger issue need to be careful how much they tamper with the, the World Cup mm. going forward because the more bloated it becomes, but it may 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 result in even less entertaining football but it's, it's the way you describe club football at the elite level it's, it's impossible surely for national sides to replicate yes. that because these club sides they can invest huge sums of money in the very best players are incredibly drilled by top coaches Manchester City a good example of that you know they've, they've got both haven't they they've got deep pockets and an exceptional coach so those players uh, are performing at peak level with a great understanding of how 
their teammates operate and what's expected of them. A, a club coach, yes, surely, yeah, yeah. cannot replicate that on the time that they get to spend. A national coach. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, sorry, yeah, a national yeah, coach yeah. cannot replicate that. With the, with well, you're ba- bringing players in who are working in different ways yeah. at different clubs. So to, that that is the challenge for a national coach is can you very quickly amalgamate? You might have great players, but can you make them a great team? But between us, we have, is it seven... Seven international caps between, between, us, between, between, between the four. Us, of us. So we have so what no, we, no appearances at World Cup. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what we really need is people who've played international football can give us a flavour of what it's like to be on the field during but an international match. We did match. say last week you had Mario Kempes' number, so could yeah. we... No, Mario I don't think we're going to need Mario on this occasion. <laughs> Would you not say that the, the, the bar for being able to really, truly judge what international football is like, you need to have played, I, I would have said, eight times. Eight no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's true <laughs> at all. I would say six. Anything over eight. six, well-informed. And so Chris Powell is included. Just, just to give you an idea, <laughs> we play for England against Cameroon in November. And... Last what you November. Were ch- <laughs> not last November, sadly, no. But what you were charged with, it was a friendly, don't give the ball away. Genuinely, mm. don't give the ball away. So because what you wanted... Because you were wanted so scared to, of what No, it's just international... Obviously, we don't give them the ball, they might score. So we just... But they didn't want to be there. They were wearing coats and gloves. Clearly, it was a great time of year to play them. But anyway, just don't give the ball away. And I thought, this is really constricting football because what you naturally want to do or would do in a club game, you couldn't do. Because it was the opposition played a different, and it was all about keeping the ball, and that's what you see in the group stages of a World Cup. Don't give the ball away, but then, well, you've got to try some things. You've got to try and win, haven't you? But it's it's avoiding defeat. So even at that level, playing against a team in a friendly, that was how England at that time played. It's keep the ball. It's all about keeping hold of the and ball. You're right. That in, initially, that's what World Cups looked like. Is it's teams not wanting to. Still, I find it tactically interesting. Because there's a reason why this is all happening. I know maybe the pressure of, of losing, you can be out of the tournament. But there's still something in it. If you watch it and say, well, it's not 6-5, it's not goals everywhere. But there's still something to be taken from every single game that did, I've ever watched. Did, did Glenn Hoddle play like that for his club sides? Or did he change? It'd have to change, yes. So he yeah, came yeah. into international yeah. football and said, yeah. right, let's let's dullify this bad boy. <laughs> well, he wouldn't He wouldn't call it. He'd, he'd say, this is the way we need to play to be. So he, he presumed, obviously, he starved the opposition mm. the ball. That's the Van Hal way, wasn't it? Mm. You starved the opposition the ball, you win 1-0. That's the perfect way to win international. But playing it, it becomes really what you want to do, play crossfield, but or you want to be a bit more expansive or risk giving the ball away. That wasn't... That wasn't how it how it, it works in club football. You risk giving the ball away. You take a chance because you try to win it back very quickly. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's, that's the, how. That's or you'll get the ball back quickly. Yeah. The opposition then will keep the ball away from you, and then you don't touch it for five but minutes. I think maybe we we might be running the risk of over glamorising club football because most club football is not Bayern Munich against Real Madrid. Yeah, you listed yeah. the clubs that we yeah. apply like, that to. Certain generally. clubs that if you watch. They are entertaining, whether because they store a lot of goals like Bayern, or because they are slightly chaotic like Liverpool, or because they they are kind of beautiful to to watch like Manchester City. The vast majority of clubs don't play like that. The vast majority of club games are pretty cautious as well. Certainly yeah. initially, that yeah. if you go and watch a a game between two teams at the in the bottom half of the Premier League towards what March April, I'm gonna, I'm going to guess that they're not they're not going. That's the same as Panama against England. They're going to go into the game thinking, let's not get beat if Brighton play at Man United. They're they're not going to go and say, right, let's play an expansive game. Which clubs right now, Chinch, play international football? In terms of what the if, style, yeah, if you, you see that and you recognise it as being well, you look at this, even this, a club team. There's, there's different. You look at Man City in terms of the possession game that they, but they play possession with a real purpose because they're good enough to just smash teams, and they do look to try and score every time they're in possession. But a lot of international teams will keep the ball to keep it away from the opponents, just to take the sting out of a game. So it's a, it's a, it's a way of playing, 
But I don't know, actually, I've not watched a lot of, say, Argentina or Germany of Spain. Do they do the same thing? They look to dominate the ball, but play with a bit more purpose. It's hard, it's hard to tell. I've, so I've seen bits of a decent amount of Germany and Spain and a decent amount of Brazil, not so much Argentina. Um, I would say that they all look to dominate the ball, but then you're judging them largely on kind of either qualifiers that they win easily or friendlies that don't matter. Yeah. So it's hard to tell what they do under pressure. I think the Germans... And the Brazilians and the Spanish will probably all dominate the ball with a purpose. That is their, that, that's how they want to Because they've got teams. probably better technical because players they the, than England. The players they're to able it. to do that. But you yeah. see, the other thing about international football that, that I think is really important is that the teams are flawed in a way, as Hugh, Hugh alluded to, that, that in the way that they're not necessarily or shouldn't be in, in club football because you can buy replacements. If you're Spain and your attacking choices are Iago Aspas, Rodrigo and one other, who I can't remember. Diego Costa. Diego Costa. All right, Costa's a top-class player. Aspas and Rodrigo aren't. They're not. They're not top-class players. But that's all you've got. You've got it, to work it, with. By it. the way, mm. if that was in England, and the three strikers that that England were taking to the World Cup, and Iago Aspas a failure at at Liverpool, I know he's done very well at Celta Vigo, and where has he been? This is it been Celta, 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 still yeah. Celta Vigo. So th- those players, but you know, the English press would be saying an incredible dearth of talent. Yeah. Is this all we've got? But they've, they've, they've left everybody's out. They've left out limitations. Morata. You know, they didn't take Morata as he wasn't playing well enough. So that's what Lopetegui's decided, is that these are our strikers. But if that's all you've got, that's all you've got. And that, that does lend international football a randomness mm. that is that, that can lead to entertainment and interest. Because if you have a team that has a terrible left-back... And Why say left-back? Because it's such an important position. Oh, yeah. The... <laughs> but they, it just so do, happens do you that, really think that just so happens that there, were, there are no decent like I can't think of a, a Swedish left back so they've got a decent solid team apart from that but poor old Martin Olsen Martin Olsen's more of a wing back oh. uh, <laughs> Andreas Cliffson. <laughs> you, you are saving yourself at every turn here <laughs> exactly. well done that is that is it's just an example but like that, then that they kind of have to function within that, but that gives them a weak point. It gives them something that's kind of an un- unknown quantity. So there is, I think, there can be more kind of random variants in international football, just because you are totally dependent on this relatively small pool of players. Yeah, uh, Rory pedalled back from the comparison between the top European clubs and international mm. football, but that's where that's how we should be drawing the comparison, because it's elite level international football. You surely you've got to compare it to elite level club football. We're not talking about Swansea against Stoke on the, the final day of the season when both teams were already relegated. This is the World Cup. Mm. So we should be looking at whether whether this is the... Pin- that's sort of what we're discussing. Is this the pinnacle of football still, the World Cup? Or has it dropped below that level? So if we're not comparing Argentina against Germany at a World Cup to Barcelona against PSG in the Champions League, then... But can can you? Maybe it's can off. you? Is it sensible? No, it's di- yeah, that, it's different. It's, yeah. it's a different sort of football, and maybe mm-hmm. that's something we need to get our our heads around. Mm-hmm. But my my point is that if that club match is superior to what we would see, even in the latter stages of, of the World Cup, in terms of the quality of the football, then clearly the World Cup is no longer the pinnacle. Football is football, right? Okay, we've spoken uh, a number of times about there's only so many different ways you can adopt. 11 players in certain positions. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about the fact that, for example, Spain represent 
Barcelona or Manchester mm. City, that, that sort of way of playing. Or there is a team who likes to play on the counter-attack, so that's more like Antonio Conte's Chelsea mm-hmm. or, or Jose Mourinho's Manchester United. There, there, are, there must be similarities in the way that, you know, there are only so many ways you can, you can play football. So yeah. you've got a counter-attacking, you've got a pressing, mm-hmm. uh, keep possession, you've got a, um, a very defensive way because you're not as good as the opposition. So aren't we going to have club tactics reflected on international stage is not going to be so wildly different because you are restricted yeah. with which players you can and pick. And that's why Steve is right that, that ultimately the, the tactics are the same because well, not the tactics is probably the wrong word the strategies for playing are the same because there are only, only so many strategies you can adopt on a football pitch you can't sort of loft the ball 70 metres into the air and try and watch it drop on a specific... You know, you can't do where this is going. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> the, there's a limit to what you can do on Let's a football pitch. Let's try and pitch. think of a strategy that we've never seen before. But the, there's a limit to what you can do on a football pitch. So there is... You can play... You can dominate the ball, you can not dominate the ball. There you base it two choices and there's various kind of sub-choices off that. The difference is that the clubs train them every week, have players who are specialists in every position. They have coaches who are working to refine those tactics all the time. International teams get together about a month beforehand. They've got a few training sessions, a couple of friendlies. Some of the players will be rubbish because they, that country doesn't happen to have any central midfielders or whatever. So the tactics are affected worse. So basically, yeah, if, if you want a direct comparison, the quality of the Champions League final this year, maybe not the greatest example, the quality of the Champions League final as a rule will be higher in terms of the slickness, the smoothness, how well effect- yeah. how well done everything yeah. is, than the, than the World Cup final, because the teams have been built specifically to be excellent, but rather than having that random choice of the pool. G- Germany, the World Cup winners, they've had a manager in place for a long time, so he has been able to, it has taken him a long time because he has had fewer sessions, but he has built Joachim Löw, at, at least it, at least that is a way of doing it, yeah, and the very to attempt to, to do it over a long period of time, and then you have that same feeling. And the great Spanish side between 2008 and 2012 had that that they, they, they had such familiarity and they but they also had incredible strength in pretty much every position as the Germans Germans always struggled a bit with the striker but I mean, Timo Werner is probably as good as, as any he's as good a player as, as close as it is or potentially as good a player as close as it was at, at, at his best but they yeah they, they, so they don't produce quite as many strikers as everybody else but they do have that strength across the board and they have that long that that background where they kind of know what they're doing, mm-hmm. but they're still not as slick as Bayern are because they don't train together every day. Yeah, I think it might have been when Germany announced their preliminary squad of 27, they just they just yeah. categorised them as goalkeepers, defenders and attackers slash forwards. They, they had so few strikers to choose yeah. from, they didn't have a, a separate category. Chinch, are national team coaches missing a trick if they are approaching the game as you described playing for England against Cameroon mm. in that it's keep the ball um, be ultra cautious because surely if you take England for example going into the World Cup well man for man when they play Panama yeah. the players they're playing against are to a lower standard than the ones that they would face week in week out in the Premier League. Yeah. When they play Belgium, they're effectively going to be playing another Premier League team because yeah. 15 of Belgium's 23-man squad play in, in in England's top flight. Tunisia are perhaps the one uncertainty in terms of of who they're going, the, the, the players they're playing against in terms of the, the, the quality. So should they not be approaching that? If they went into the group stage and played in the way, or, yeah. the, the way that they are familiar with in the Premier League, would they not be more likely to succeed than changing this. You, you can possibly have that thought, but as we always said about the pressure, if it's the first game in a tournament or you're in the knockout stages, it's what the pressure does to you and the, the worry about what will be said or what will happen if you do get beaten. I think that does affect the way that England coaches 
play or ask their players. And then it's down to the players actually being good enough to actually carry out the plan and play well. It's not always that straightforward. Because I do think England have a, a decent squad that should be able to take the game to an opposition like Panama and beat them, you would presume, because man for man, they're better than that. But it's why it doesn't happen. Isn't that their best chance, though, as well? It, and I'm sure that they said, this is what we're going to do. This is what I want you to do in this position. I want you to be progressive. I want you to play these forward passes. But it's actually then that happening. It's strange what can go through play. And whether it's just specifically English players, once you group them together, that they struggle mentally to do what they've been asked to do on the big stage when the pressure... Because there will be pressure on them. People say, it's just Panama. It's a World Cup. So one mistake, and we've seen it before, you can draw or be beaten, and then suddenly it's, it's, it's open day with the, with the media. And I do think that comes into play in the players' minds, but that's why you need very strong players, capable mentally, physically, of doing the job. The coach can only do so much. The players then have to carry that out on the pitch and that's where I do think England players have, have fell short well short in recent tournaments yeah, but I just I don't understand that I think if, if you're if you're putting your opponent on the back foot and that opponent is you know in this example Panama mm. then surely if you make a mistake it's going to be far enough up the field that it can be rectified whereas if you're being ultra cautious there is a danger that you're going to make your mistake in a more dangerous area yeah. of the field. But you're not sure England will be ultra-cautious, so do you think? They, no, but, you, they, but they, they'll, they, they'll try and I'm, play. I'm just yeah, in the example yeah, yeah. that you described. Yeah, yeah. But they have taken on this idea that, you, that there is a style to international football that England has to adapt to. I've got to admit, I don't necessarily know if that makes sense because if you look at the, the teams that are successful internationally, they are playing a version of their natural style. That you know, Spain didn't, Spain didn't play a style that was unfamiliar to the yeah. to the core of Barcelona and Real Madrid players that they had. Play to the strengths of the players. Italy yeah. don't come out and... Oh, it's obviously not in the World Cup this year, but in 2006, Italy didn't decide to play a high press, yeah. really intense, qu- quick game. They mm. played Italian football, sort of adopted, adapted slightly to suit the squad that they had. Same with Brazil, where there's always an influence, there's always an emphasis on on the kind of the creativity of, of, of a 10, of that kind of behind the forward line. Or Argentina the same, that the Germans play a kind of physical, quick, strong running game with technical skill, but the sort of football that Bayern and Dortmund play. So the players are used well, to playing the way they've been asked to play. Yeah. Whereas it, with England, there is this, they, they are going to take, and I like Gareth Southgate and I think it makes sense to an extent, but they take a load of players from the Premier League, which has its own defined playing culture, and say, don't do that. And that doesn't make, that, I've got to admit, as much as it makes me sound like Richard Keyes, <laughs> that does not make a vast amount of sense yeah, to me. Yeah. Well, the, the World Cup, by its very nature, in terms of the way that the top players are spread around the world, is a cosmopolitan affair. The squ- squads, on the whole, are cosmopolitan. And England are the one exception to that. England are the one squad of a leading football nation in which all of the players play their football in England. Mm. Not even Germany, in which you know the Bundesliga is is heavily populated by German players, but still a, a, well, a third yeah. a third of their squad will be from outside of the Bundesliga. So England should have that attitude that they can approach games in an English style because all of their players play in the Premier League. So they get drawn into playing international football. Yeah. And yeah. that's So, yeah, why would you pick Carl Walker? And then because he's a marauding right back. But I tell you, today, don't do that. Exactly. We're going to play... Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Dude, but they fall into that trap, you feel, where other countries... Feed, play into well, the, the natural game that their players. You pick a squad presumably to play a certain way because your players can uh, can play that way. Yeah, that makes sense. You, so you, then you don't say right, we're going to change from being you know a high pressing team to a team that sits off. It doesn't make any sense because no. the players will think, well, this is not why. Why have you picked me if we're going to do this? But I, I do think the England coach will try to get them to do 
the right thing and play their natural game. But if it's nil-nil at half-time against Panama, then it becomes about, this is we, we could be embarrassed here, even if it's nil-nil. And then you start to mentally play sideways and backwards rather than doing what the coach is telling you to do. I think it gets into the players' heads. Ha- haven't we just spent the last 10 minutes saying that there really, really isn't any more an international football, in inverted commas, because they are representations of their national style played uh, to accentuate the qualities of the individual squad members. Mm. So is there now even a, a a thing that you said about Glenn Hoddle-Chinch just saying, right, keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball? Yeah. I know that has been until recently, but it, is that as true anymore, that people go and play for, for their countries and then immediately regress into sideways passing? No, but I think it, I think it is true, and I think, but it's not, it's not by design, whereas in England there's maybe been an attempt to, to control it. I think what happens is everyone goes to a tournament, wanting to play a version of their national style, a little bit watered down maybe. And then they realise quickly that A, the squad isn't maybe quite as balanced as they thought it was. There's a hole in whatever position. They're not as familiar with the with the pattern that the coach is asking of them that, as they would be at club level, so they're not comfortable. And there's loads and loads of pressure after the first group game, basically, because you can't lose. So everyone starts playing safety first football, which is, that is the international style, is that everyone is a bit unsure of what they're meant to be doing, so everyone knows, oh, let's not take any risks. That's where it comes from, rather than saying there is a style of international football which is let's not take any risks, which, which is what Glenn Hoddle was doing. He was yeah. maybe just getting ahead of the game, possibly on Eileen Drury's advice. We don't know. <laughs> Most the, likely. The, she, she'd seen Hot the hands, future. Drury. Hot hands. But yeah, the, the, international sti- the international style doesn't come from like the UN. It comes from the circumstance that the, the football is played in, and that's what... That's where that that's the genesis of that, I think. Okay, so my next question is if if teams suffer under the pressure and again we use England as an example and to all our international listeners I apologize that the fact that last week and this week we talked a lot about England, but that is our um our, our most our recency bias in terms of our lives. But the the pressure is that not felt by the teams who win? And who win playing well? D- is it that they just don't feel the pressure, or they that there isn't the pressure, pressure on them? They can cope, cope with the pressure. Cope. That's what I'm saying. It's a mental game as much as a physical one. You can be quick, you can be strong, but when it comes to the crunch and you need to do certain things, or you or goal is needed, or you need to do things differently, can you mentally so adapt? Who, who helps so them that, cope? They're, that's is it why intrinsic that's, within they're capable yes, of doing it, or is it the coach's that, that's job? That's why to, I think England always fell down because when it comes to the play, well, we all need Eileen Jury, but it's when they actually have to do it for themselves you can't always turn around to the bench and say what do we do now the very very good players I think the World Cup winners have you go through the teams and there's a lot of players in those teams that can basically they know what's not working or what they need to try and what they need to adapt and they have the mental ability to do it themselves rather than be told how to if you if you need to be told how to do it at that level you're never you're never going to beat Germany you're never going to beat Brazil you're never going to beat us because they've got that because they've got the intelligence within the within the players on the pitch. Is it not partly as well that everyone is affected by the pressure? Everyone drops off a certain amount because of the pressure. Everyone loses something under that pressure. The better the player, the less they lose. Yeah. So the more able they are to express themselves. So you look at that Spanish team in 2010. They would have been affected by the pressure. But they were Andres Iniesta and Jao. That's what I was going to say. They're still nine out of ten when they feel yeah. the pressure, whereas English players are three out of ten when they feel the pressure. So there's the difference: the quality that they're still able to produce under that pressure. But again, it's mental strength and also technical ability. But you need to 
be really brave. So where does that mental strength come from? If you say that it can't be applied to you by coaching, because if you get to that stage and you haven't got it, then it's never well, going to be that's why we've always there. talked about how young players are schooled and how they're made to think about the game, the educations that they have. We've talked about this across Europe, and it all stems from the childhood you have, how you come into the game, what you learn along the road in your formative years. And that's why doing this with young footballers produces intellectually I think we did a, a pod on this didn't mm. we about how important the mental approach for young footballers is and that's what you see on the global scale is it doesn't happen by accident you there's been many many great great footballers who have fallen short because they're not able to do exactly the right thing at the right time I'm a great example of that um but my brain is enormous so it's weird I'm really the anomaly here is that I should have been a World Cup winner, but so this, um, being the, English, it was never going to happen. This, this, this talk of tournament football and getting yeah. young players to get tournament experience is that is that of the value? The trouble is, it's going to be bad experience. Well, well some of the so they're just going to relive won that last summer, though, didn't they? So is that going to help them in ten years' time when they're playing in a World Cup semi-final? Well, if if they're doing things differently, if if winning tournaments with those age groups is because they're doing something differently along the way, and that continues when they go into their more mature years and they're working and playing first-team football, then yes, there is. But we've seen this before with under-21 teams who have won tournaments in the past, and the senior team get absolutely nowhere. And a lot of the players don't actually make the transition from junior football to the senior team anyway. That's but, something else we've talked about in yeah. the past podcast. So the pathway for those players who've had success for England's youth sides getting into the first teams with their clubs, yeah. they often end up playing below the very top level, don't they, for yeah. to get make sure they get regular football. But also, watch. Remember watching England against Iceland. The people going on and on about that game. If you look at the amount of possession that England had and how many wayward balls being knocked out of play, just the basics of the game. And if you say, "Well, that's just the pressure," yeah, but. Surely Wayne Rooney should be able to pass a ball 10 yards to one of his teams. Yeah, just, I know it's easy to say this, and yes, we all make mistakes, and even Iniesta gives the ball away, though not very often. But it, the has, that, that's when it becomes really crucial. Is that's when I, when I was watching that game, I wasn't looking at the technical side, I was looking at the mental side of it. When the pressure was on, things were going against them. This, this team is beatable. Iceland is clearly beatable, yet we're not able to, to do it. And that was a classic example of having decent players, but not mentally strong enough to get the job done. It was amazing that game, quite how much England crumbled. That's the only time I, I think I can ever remember a team forgetting how to do the basics. And yeah. watching yeah. it, you, that was the, after a while, that was the only conclusion you could really draw. There is one other thing that I want to say about, this, about football at the World Cup and the quality, is that until relatively recently, one of the entertaining things about it was the contrast in styles. I think that, that that has been lost. So if you talk to people in South America or in Asia or in Africa, they will tell you that they have adopted quite a lot of the best practices from Europe, that their their, their brands of football have become more more European and therefore everything is a bit more homogenous. If you look at the at Group H, the best group in the World Cup, you have mm -hmm. Senegal, who I think could be quite good. Poland, who obviously have Lewandowski and, and people like Zielinski, and it's a, a bit of a golden generation type thing. Uh, you have Colombia, who did very well last time, uh, and Japan, who are kind of World Cup stalwarts. Yes, they're always the first team to qualify. At getting knocked <laughs> out in the group stages. <laughs> but that should be one of those great World Cup groups where you have a, a sort of muscular Northern European team, a very dynamic, quick, kind of slightly free-flowing African team, a skillful and technical mm. South American team, and a kind of neat industrious as much as a horrible stereotype but kind of Japanese team that is what Japanese teams are like as a rule or have been like I think that it maybe won't be quite as interesting as it would have been say 15-20 years ago because they will all play yeah, a type yeah. of European yeah. football well, and they'll, that, of, they'll often employ coaches who have been around everywhere and 
Well, but yeah, Japan's coach is no longer Bora Milutinovic, but but was Bora, Mil- Mil- Bora Milutinovic. I think Senegal have got Aliou Sisse, who I think played for Birmingham or Portsmouth for a bit. I can't remember. Um, but was a was a is is that rarest of things, which is a black coach at a World Cup. Um, Poland obviously have a Polish coach, uh, and Colombia have an Argentinian coach, like most countries. Uh, the <laughs> so, but they will all play a type of. Football. Uh, they will play that sort of Champions League light football that, that is basically the, the, the default setting for all international football now. And that's a real shame because that was where a lot of the points of interest were, was seeing how those two styles matched up with each other and whether, yeah, Japan or South Korea or Iran or whoever had had something different that they did that was native to their football culture yeah, yeah. that we hadn't experienced. And so it's a shame that that's been lost. So seeing what's successful in Europe, they think this is what we have to adopt to be successful at a World Cup, it's so they, so they, it, yeah, so they, they they change, and that's absolutely right. You remember watching the African teams back seventies, eighties? They had a specific brand of play, but that's that's been watered down now to be a European. You know, all, we're Senegal, but we're going to play a European all brand players, of football. You know, all their yeah, players yeah, are in Europe. Yeah. Their, the their coaches, their coaches have come across yeah. from Europe. They've they've had European coaches, and they've looked at it and thought that is the best type of. So football. it's a World Cup of European football, basically. Basically, yeah. Oh. Are we not going to see the, the the culture clash that we see a lot in the Premier League and elsewhere, but particularly in the Premier League because of the managers that are there at the moment, where you're going to have this team desperate to keep hold of the ball and the team who are happy to have. To let the other team have the ball and want to counterattack. Are there no counterattacking teams? Are there I no think there's more counterattacking teams than anything else? Right. So I think most international teams play. On the we're going to have more Mourinho's than Mourinho's Guardiola's than we're going to have Guardiola's. There's one Is that th- because the talent available yeah. and that because they think we're going to have to try and foster this way of playing well, because that we're going to eventually come up against the team who are better than us, if not all the teams mm. are being better. Than it's us. safety first, isn't it? Because you know that your team is flawed. So does it, by, by definition, all international teams are flawed. They're not perfect. Um, so you minimise the minimise the possibility of making mistakes. That yeah, it's international football is is more Mourinho than Guardiola. But it's a shame, isn't it, that that coaches don't try and break that mould. That yeah. those with those with the players capable of doing so. Which the chances of success, isn't it, Steve? They think if I do this, yes, it could go brilliantly, and people think I'm a genius, or it goes horrendously wrong, and they look. Well, why on earth would you try and do something like that? So do you think the coaches, like the players, get into a frame of mind where they're just not willing? They'd rather go down doing what everybody else is doing than do something differently yeah. and be heavily criticised for if it doesn't work. I know, so I want to collectively shake some sense. Into yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sure we're all looking forward to it now. Thanks very much. It's going to be great. It will be great. It will, it yeah. will be great. It will be great. It'll just be great in a different in way a different to the brilliant. football that we're That's used like to. Saying, majority saying of the time. you still enjoy your mother's cooking, even though it's terrible. But also, <laughs> the, I mean, the thing that the World Cup has that that nothing that nothing else touches is that tension in the the quarters, the semis, and the final. Once, and it, well, to be honest, the last sixteen in the, the final round of group games. Once the stakes are high, yeah. That tension is it's is exquisite. That's yeah. what changes yeah. the mindset of coaches and players. And just one final thing, if I can, and again, mm-hmm. maybe Chinch can add some player context. Very probably. Even though the Champions League is generally held up to be the pinnacle of footballing quality, from a for a player winning the World Cup mm. still is some way above that in terms of... Yeah, I'm probably... If we had Bastian Schweinsteiger sat here, which clearly you wouldn't want because why would you when you've got me? He would probably be the best person to ask because he has won everything. But which would he take more pride in? His his club, he's won the Champions League. He, yes. Yeah, he won it with Bayern. Yeah. Yes, with Bayern. So would he take... Is he is he Bayern or is he German? 
again, that must be down to the individual. But surely, winning a world, winning a World Cup, it, surely that has to be on your CV. For for for, for yeah. Messi, not winning a World Cup, surely everything else that he's won not pale into insignificance. But surely, winning a World Cup would trump. It's just the rarity Anything of it. It's the everything. rarity of it. Yeah. You don't get yeah, to play yeah, yeah. it every year. You don't yeah. get to have 15 goes at it in your life. You yes. probably get to have three at most. Yeah, or Four zero. if you're very lucky. Or zero, yeah, or zero if you're handy. And you don't get to be part of a Real Madrid team that wins three Champions Leagues on, league on the spin mm. just by being mm. exceptional. It, 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 there's an awful lot more that needs to fall into line for you to win a World Cup. So it's the thing yeah. that, that is the thing that stands stands you it's apart. It's harder to yeah. win, I presume. Yeah, even if you're the yeah. very, be- very best player in the world, you, you need your country to also be producing loads, yeah. of, loads of good yeah. players. It is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, what a soccer story before we go. And we send you all off, including Rory, to Russia and the World Cup. And Chinch is probably going to once again bring his player experience to bear and tell us a <laughs> fascinating story about being at a... Oh. World. oh, no, he can't do that. But he can tell us a tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel-worthy details of me. This is about corporate sponsorship. Now, <laughs> yeah, oh, now it, change. it might... I'm, I, which is strange. You look at me and now, and certainly when I was playing, instantly marketable. So you'd think many, many companies would have been battering down my door to I have can... me. Don't say anything, Smith. I don't need you to add anything at this point. <laughs> I think I it only... will still be relevant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah you would say something at any point in this stuff. But um, I signed a lot of lucrative playing contracts, which is understandable. I was a terrific player. Um, <laughs> but I only ever signed one. God, why are you laughing, Steve? One contract <laughs> with a um, with a sporting company. And can you just let's just throw some of the biggest names in in sporting apparel into the mix here? Lotto, Diodoro, no, Patrick. no, Patrick, Patrick. <laughs> no, Hummel, no, too tall. Yeah, Hummel yeah. Party. this yeah. was yeah. this was a a boot company, a fledgling boot company. Hunter, you've probably heard of them called Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, seriously. Is that Greek for time? <laughs> no, uh, yeah. it's true. This, yeah. this is true, Steve. Kronos, so, was Kronos. Fa- Kronos was the father of the gods who ate his own children. And they thought that would be a good name for a boot. boot. Excellent boots, though. They were excellent boots. So at this time, I was, you know, tearing up the Premier League. <laughs> Getting to the point where Chinch is eating himself. <laughs> with it, with I didn't realise. I just thought it was Greek for time. It is Greek for time. And my yeah. time had come. Yeah. Um, so, well, there's actually two sides to this story. Again, wearing Kronos boots playing for England because clearly all the other players with their Adidas deals and everything were looking at Dave Bex was probably looking at me thinking what are you are they from Alden what are you wearing so anyway Ian Wright was the only person that ever asked me what are those boots that you're wearing I said oh they're, they're going to be big righty they're going to be seriously big and have you oh you found have you found Kronos found a picture of Kronos boots which is like got yes. an turned Nike swoosh yes and they, they were I think I've told the white boot story haven't I when I yes, played against Arsenal and couldn't see Kronos the end of boots? my leg they were Kronos boots, yes. Yeah, and beautiful. This, so that was the England thing, with people saying, what on earth are those boots? And then clearly thinking, you must be a complete muppet if this company want to... So they paid me, clearly. Not a lot, but they paid me to wear the boots. Six figures, was it? But it was a photo shoot. I, and maybe you can find this on the internet. It, it was absolutely appalling. They, they made up a pair of golden boots because I was taking a lot of in-swinging corners. Found it immediately. And here it is. A, a golden boot, me... Look Look how sheepish I look on that picture. It was a photo shoot for, it might have been 442 magazine or shoot or something of the like. The man with the golden boot, because in-swinging corners were a big thing. They were big all the rage, of my yeah. game and, yeah. and throw-ins. Britpop and um, in-swinging corners, it was the 90s. And, but the thing was, as you probably 
seen over the years, I don't shave my face an awful lot. No. But for this photo shoot, for some reason, I thought it'd be a good idea to shave off all my facial hair. And I think I nicked myself quite badly. And my face, it's appalling anyway. (laughs) But it it looks like I've got some kind of disease, doesn't it? And it's the most embarrassing photo shoot the only one I ever did, but the most embarrassing one that I ever did. What happened to Kronos? To Kronos oh, I, I, what, you sponsor me. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to get downhill and end, out of business pretty quickly. And that is what happened. According to, to oh. Google, there are some Neymar soccer boots made by Kronos. I'm sure they were based in Udinese. Oh, okay. Udinese. 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 And... I went. I sure went over there to have some boots made to measure, but I got to Manchester Airport. This is probably another story. Got to Manchester Airport, tried to check in for my flight, and they hadn't paid for my flight over, <laughs> so I had to buy my own flight over. And then I went to the factory, and they know when they put your feet on the bits of paper, and they draw around them and stuff. And I bet when I walked away, the guy just crumpled up the paper and just went, put it in the bin. Just going to make me a pair of, just give him a pair of size seven and a half. He's a muppet. So it was the most embarrassing photo shoot. And if any, if you want to go and have a look at it, you'll probably see why I'm so embarrassed by it. Because Paolo Di Canio wore golden boots, and you can understand why. But me, I never wore them. Clearly, they were a marketing tool were they, were, which backfired massively. Were the Kronos boots comfortable? They were excellent boots. Were yes, they it's really it's were. It's a shame. Recommended. It's still a shame. If it had been a better player that they'd taken on, who had a longer international career, it, it could have been worthwhile. But they, world, sadly, yeah. they just picked the wrong person. They, just, they only picked you. They didn't decide to pick a whole. They didn't have the money. If you <laughs> wasted it all on you. You rested your entire <laughs> marketing strategy on chin. <laughs> How many people would they have asked? Football's greatest. No from <laughs> football's greatest pinups. Steve Guppy. <laughs> uh, thank you, Andrew, and thank you, Kronos. Don't forget, hey, you can get in touch with the podcast if you'd like to. At Setpiece Menu is where we are on Twitter, or setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Send us pictures of your Kronos boots. Uh, uh, also, do subscribe, share, rate, and review over the World Cup. Uh, we'd love you to send us lots of lovely messages and put them on iTunes too. We humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. A reminder, we will be furnishing you with pods during the World Cup. A special series is upcoming starting next week. Thank you to Steve and Andy. Rory, enjoy Russia. Uh, thank you to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Giuseppe, I've heard that Steve Froddit is available. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> this is so that is ridiculous. Marketing strategy. But I'm not, I just, no, it's just thought, you don't, you don't. I wouldn't sponsor myself. And you didn't even have an agent, so it wasn't no, like no. the agent no. had uh, who a was contact. Fi- who was fielding those calls? My, my brother-in-law, who was a GP. <laughs> so he also gave some very good advice on uh, any diseases <laughs> that might have as well. But yeah, he was my. What about the one you had in your face when you did the, the photo oh, shoot? What was I just don't know what I was. I would have looked swarthy. Would have been better for that photo I mean, shoot. The, the Italians boring. would ge- generally put you know oh. beauty at the top of the agenda in terms of any approach they're taking to things. I'm not they? having yeah. this. Chinch is a beautiful man. That's why they said put the boot in front of your face, Chinch. It I would like better. to see. When what year was that? That must have been. When was I tearing up the Premier League? I would, like to see, I would like to see Kronos' uh, account <laughs> for that year to see the spike downwards. Mm. After <laughs> <laughs> Sales were going very well. Sponsorship, Hinchcliffe, doom and gloom.